0: What I really needed was to recreate myself, which means to bring something new into the world that has never existed before. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have Michelle Seiler-Tucker, the author of How to Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, a bestseller, and uh, also uh, she specializes in helping people fix, grow, and sell. Their businesses, which is a topic I get a bunch of questions on. I could have used your help a few years ago. So, welcome, Michelle.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Terrence.
0: Yeah, great to have you. We're we're uh, the the idea of going into business is is pretty hot right now, and, and of course, also the idea of. Companies going out of business, we're seeing some major brands falling off. Uh, so, what you do when companies are coming in and out of business is pretty important. Uh, tell us how you got into the role of helping people do that, and tell maybe a little bit about your journey.
1: Yeah, so you know, it's it's a long story. So, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bore you with the details. But I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. You know, even as a child, when other children were playing with toys and dolls, not me. I was walking around with a notebook asking everybody a 1,000 questions. and My mom thought I was going to be the next Barbara Walters. <laughs> so she just knew I was going to be a, a reporter. Um, but anyway, so I've owned several businesses. I've owned publishing companies, magazines, event companies. And then I kind of got sucked up into corporate America working for Xerox. And I was there for six months. And they asked me to interview for a regional management position over um, 85 salespeople. And I said, you'll never get the position, but you should do it anyway. I said, well, why would I interview for something I'm never going to get? <laughs> and they said, because it's a great learning experience and you'll learn more doing this than anything else. And the reason you're not going to get it is because you've been here six months and other people that are interviewing for the same position have been here for years and years and years. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I interviewed for it. It was a um, very long process. It was like a 30 it was about 60, 90-day process, three to three to four months, grueling process where we had to meet with all these different key-level executives. We had to demonstrate high-volume equipment. We had to do sales presentations in front of the management team. And anyway, I ended up getting it when I said I want it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then I got it. You know, I love sales, but then I got my nickname at Xerox was the closer. So, they take the closer and move them into management. Really not a smart idea. <laughs> so, anyway, I go into management, and I really missed entrepreneurship. So, I started looking for a business or a franchise I could buy and operate on the side and just hire employees. And so, I stumbled across this franchise. that had two locations. My husband knew one of the owners. And um, I said, look, I want to buy your franchise. And they said, no. We know of you, we know your husband, we know of your reputation, because I have friends at Xerox that worked with me. And they said, we don't want you to buy a franchise, we want you to partner with us and we'll give you a franchise. Hmm. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, you have two locations, so you're not very successful. (laughs) Right (laughs) now I'm making six figures over here with great benefits. I'm not going to leave six figures with great benefits for a company that's not successful. Why don't I do this? I'll, I'll try it out for six months, we'll see how it works. And if if I feel like we're a good fit, then I'll leave Xerox. So I did that, flew all around the country on the weekends and did trade shows, hosted my own events, ended up selling quite a few franchises and making more in six months than I did an entire year at Xerox. So I ended up leaving Xerox and partnering with this company. Hmm. And I ended up selling over 400 franchises rather quickly and they kept over-promising and under-delivering, and they did what most companies do. They grew too fast mm-hmm. for the foundation that they were built on. They never built a sol- a solid foundation that could hold the growth and the expansion that I was bringing. So these franchisees are my friends, you know. I go to their weddings. I go to their hospitals when they have babies and their birthday parties. I stay at their house when I come into town. And I said, look, I, can't, I just can't sell any more franchises. I just can't, can't continue to grow the company because if you can't service what we're selling, then we have to stop. We have to put the brakes on. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to do that. So I said, well, then buy me out. And they didn't want to do that. So I said, fine, you'll hear from my attorney. <laughs> right. Anyway, so they ended up buying me out. And when that happened, then I ended up transitioning into selling companies So I ended up transitioning first, you know, at first, smaller companies like restaurants and coffee shops Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. And then very quickly, um, I ended up transitioning into selling large businesses. And then very quickly, I learned that eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. And according to Steve Forbes, eight out of 10 businesses do not sell. And that's Mm -hmm. that's accurate. So I said, well, gosh, if I don't fix these businesses, if I don't grow these businesses, if I don't build them to sell, then I'm going to starve to death. So then right. I started growing businesses and building businesses. So I really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing. And I will partner with business owners, investing my capital, investing my energy, my resources, my core competencies to for a build-to-sell plan. And our build-to-sell plan is typically three to five years is my build-to-sell mm-hmm. plan.
0: Yeah, what, what's uh, the current environment doing to the business market, people buying and selling businesses? That's very curious to me.
1: What's I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? What's
0: what's the what's the what is COVID's impact on people buying or selling yeah. businesses and so, buying businesses?
1: That's it. That's a great question because people would think it's dead, but it's not. So at mm-hmm. this level, it depends on the industry you're in, right? Small mm-hmm. business is pretty much dead. Um, hospitality, restaurants, bars, you know, hotels, anything travel related is not doing too well. Although we do have an offer. One of my brokers has an offer on a bar he's selling and they're closing in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. So nothing's impossible. But what we're seeing a lot of activity is for the larger type companies. So mm-hmm. we have so many buyers. We have over 25,000 buyers in our database and we have more buyers for good businesses than we have good businesses to buy. So there's quite a bit of activity at that medium level where you have mm-hmm. an EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, over a million. There's tons and tons of buyers for those types of businesses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, but, and then some of the smaller businesses there are too. We have a dental lab that's under contract for $1.3 million. Uh, So there are buyers Buyers are buying. I will tell you in the first three or four months after COVID came up, came Mm -hmm. out, it was very, very quiet. Really nothing was happening. Buyers weren't pulling the trigger. Sellers were on the fence. But now we see a lot more activity, especially since the election has somewhat been decided. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We have more activity. I don't know about that (laughs) either. But um, yeah, so we see a lot more activity coming back.
0: What about businesses that are in trouble? I mean, I don't know how they would do it in the in the restaurant business or hospitality, but you know, they're seeing like big brands like uh Kmart and uh, Radio Shack be just, just bought recently. A friend, my friend of mine uh um, who I who I also invest in, uh, he ended up buying Steinmart and Pier One. He bought these major brands, he's putting them online.
1: Yeah, because um, they were that's very smart. Your your friend is brilliant. Because these brands are going out of business. And let me tell you, Mm -hmm. the business landscape has changed dramatically way before COVID. So when I wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013 and did the research, I learned that 85 to 95% of all startups will go out of business, right? So Mm -hmm. businesses at one to five years are at risk for going out of business. We all know that. That's common knowledge. However, I guarantee you, probably nobody knows this. When I wrote Exit Rich, my next book that's coming out, in 2019, and I did the same research, I learned that it's not 85 to 95% of business for startups are going out of business. Only 30% of startups will now go out of business. But guess what? Out of 27.6 million companies, mm-hmm. 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses are going out of business. 70%, do the mm-hmm. math. That is like... Mind-boggling because small business. There's only 30.2 small businesses, 30, two, 30.2 million small businesses in the United States, employing over half the U.S. workforce. If 10 percent, if 70 percent of those 27 million businesses got a business, they're going to lose jobs. People are going to stop spending. It's going to really hurt the economy. People don't know that. They don't realize that 70% are going out of business. Now, you hear about the big box public stores all the time, like Kmart went out of business. Mm -hmm. Steinmart's going out of business. Pier 1's going out of business. Toys R Us, who have been in business for 60-plus years, went out of business. But what you're not hearing about are the small private companies on every street corner in every town in every state across our great nation. These business owners are dropping like flies, and that was before COVID. Mm. Now, every nine seconds, a business is going out of business, I'm being told. And these business owners are being forced into selling for pennies on the dollar or having to close their doors or, even worse, file bankruptcy. And when you file bankruptcy, you don't just lose your business assets, you lose your personal assets, too. So America needs to wake up. We got to wake up and we got to try to help small business owners. We got to save small business.
0: Oh, totally. And you're seeing, you know, these businesses not pivot, not reinvent themselves and recreate their their offer and their distribution models to that. And, and uh, you know, examples of uh, Steinmart and Pier One and Kmart uh, that, that, uh, that I invested in indirectly, um, you know, not big time, just small, but. The, these companies are going fully online. So they're partnering. They're taking these big brands that that were available. The bricks and mortar stores are closed. Dress barn was another one. And they're going to a fully online model. What uh, what opportunity is there for some of these? That's a big number, by the way, 70% over the years. That's next a huge number.
1: Years. In fact, Terrence, I tell you, I didn't believe it. How <laughs> did my team go back? 10 times and do the research to make sure it was accurate. It's a huge number. And the reason why that they're going out of business is because they stopped AIM. I call it AIM. AIM. A-I-M. Always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. And these business owners have been in business for 10 years or longer. They stopped innovating. They stopped marketing. They stopped asking their clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Because the company that makes it, Easier for the consumer to do business with them. That's the company that's winning. Mm. Amazon is winning because they make it easy to do business with them. Right. It's yeah. so easy. Returns are easy. Everything is easy with Amazon. So that's why these businesses, like look at Toys R Us, been in business over 60 years. Tell me one thing that they did to innovate over the last 60 years. Nothing.
0: Nothing. Yeah.
1: Zero. They and clean their stores up here, a little bit was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I remember moms talking about, Oh my God, I hate going to Toys R Us to get, you know, gifts for Christmas because it's a, it was a zoo. There was nobody to ever help you. And it wasn't a pleasant experience now because of Amazon makes shopping so easy that you can practically buy anything on Amazon. You can buy a horse on Amazon. Mm -hmm. They make it so easy to do business with them. Why would you waste your time to go fight parking, fight the crowds in the store when you could be out enjoying time with your family.
0: What other mistakes are they making other than you know lack of innovation? I mean, that these I mean what what mistakes they're making in the follow-up questions, what, what can they be doing?
1: Lack of innovation to, and lack of marketing is huge. But yeah. I, always, I also talk about it in my book. One of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is not planning their exit. They never think about selling their business until yeah. they have to due to an internal, external catastrophic event. And they should be planning about that. They should be planning their exit from day one of starting or buying a business. Um, But business owners make big mistakes. I call it the six P's. So when I look at a business to partner with, to buy or to sell, I go through this process and I explain this in my book, Exit Rich. And number one P that we look at is people. Because you don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. So you got to ask yourself, do you have the right people in the right seat? And then you got to ask yourself the who question. Who opens the doors? Who handles customer service issues? Who handles manufacturing? Who handles distribution? Who handles environmental issues? Who handles accounting? Who, who, who? And the the clue is never put your name next to the who. (laughs) Because you want your business to be self-sufficient. You want your business to run without you. So you never want to put your name next to who. (laughs) So people is number one. And... You know, I see a lot of business owners trying to be be all to everybody and trying to do everything themselves because they always say, well, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Well, no, that's stupid because you can't do everything. So you got to focus on your strengths and hire out your weaknesses. Focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. And then the second P is product. And here's where a lot of businesses fail is product. So you got to ask mm-hmm. yourself, is your product, your industry on the way up or on the way out? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? Mm -hmm. If you have a Blockbuster, you're in big trouble. (laughs) So it's time to pivot. It's time to ask yourself this question. What business am I in and what business should I be in? So I'll give you an example to illustrate that point. Amazon. They asked themselves that question in the beginning. What business are we in? And -hmm. they said, we're in a book business. We sell books. And then they ask themselves, what are we really, really, really good at? Like, what do we do really well? We do fulfillment really well. What business should we be in? We should be in a fulfillment business. Amazon didn't start out as Amazon. They evolved over time because they asked the right questions. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, you can tell a genius by the questions that they ask. and." business owners get so stuck in transactional that they stop being transformational and they really got to ask these types of questions so that they can really innovate. Um, So product is huge. You know, you got to ask yourself, are you on a way up or are you on a way out? If you're on the way out, like Blockbuster was because they saw Netflix, Mm -hmm. Blockbuster did nothing. They sat back fat and happy and let Netflix do their thing. And then they're out of business. And this happens time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. And this is what Amazon is doing to retail right now. Amazon is killing retail because retail is doing nothing to compete except for Walmart. Walmart is competing with Amazon because Mm -hmm. Walmart said, all right, we know what you're doing. We can do it too. (laughs) You want to deliver groceries? We can deliver groceries. We can have a a Walmart club, just like you have a Mm -hmm. prime club. We'll have a Walmart club. So, Business owners got to start really, really, really innovating and competing. I mean, it's a competition. Business is a competition.
0: A lot of people get, get, they they follow that idea into the ground. It's okay to change your mind and and go a different direction.
1: It is okay to change your mind and go a different direction. And, you know, and what you really should be doing is align yourself with an expert, with an advisor, with somebody who's been down your road before because mm-hmm. they've made your mistakes. A, le- a genius learns from other people's mistakes. Mm. you know. So with product, you really got to innovate. Um, and then the third P is processes. So processes, Terrence, are typically never thought about in the beginning. <laughs> Most right. business owners don't think about processes until they have to due to... Upset customers. Oh, we got to change our process because customers are upset or mm-hmm. due to inefficiencies or due to um, uh, worker's comp injury, you know, something like that. So they don't think about it till out of necessity, mm. but processes should always be be worked out from the beginning. So I'll give you an instance. Have you ever watched a movie, The Founder? Oh, yeah. Love that movie, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Me too. Love that movie. So... The McDonald brothers, not Ray Kroc. The McDonald's brothers started McDonald's back in the 40s when there were those Sonic type drive drive-ups mm-hmm. where they came out with rollerblades. Well, the uh, roller skates. Well, the problem with that scenario is the food was always cold, <laughs> the order right. was typically wrong, took forever, and customers weren't happy. So McDonald says. What is our objective? What is our mission? What is our USP, unique selling proposition? Mm. How are we going to be different? And McDonald's said, we're going to deliver great tasting food. It's going to be hot. It's going to be quality. And you're going to get it two minutes or less. Right?
0: Mm, Right.
1: And so they took their entire workforce out to an empty tennis court, mapped out the processes And practice and practice and practice for hours of who's going to take the client's order, who's going to take the order, who's going to toast the buns, who's going to cook the burger, who's Mm -hmm. going to put the pickles on the bun, and who's going to give it to the customer. They design the customer, the process with the customer experience in mind. Mm -hmm. See, they kept thinking about the customer. How do we deliver quality, fresh, fast, good tasting food, two minutes or less? They design their mm-hmm. processes with the customer experience in mind. They didn't do it backwards. Therefore, that's why you can eat at a McDonald's in Hong Kong, Singapore, Russia, New Zealand, USA, and the experience is the same because the processes are the same. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. Totally. So the
1: processes have to be productive and efficient, and they have to be well documented, and employees have to be trained on such. And they have to be designed with a customer experience in mind. The reason why you get upset, the reason why consumers get upset clients is because the process is designed to piss them off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not designed to make them happy.
0: Documented processes make a company <laughs> more valuable from what I've read.
1: Yes. And it's like, yes, especially the, uh, the employees are trained on it because what does processes mm-hmm. do? It creates happy clients, Right. It helps improve efficiencies and productivity, which helps improve the bottom line and helps get the the owner more money. So, processes are always overlooked and under thought about, but they need to be at the forefront of every business design with the customer experience in mind. Mm -hmm. All right. So, the fourth P, which is the most valuable P, which will get you the highest price for your business, Mm -hmm. is proprietary. Now, there are six pillars to proprietary. So, number one, you got to ask yourself, how well-branded are you? How much is your brand worth? How much is your brand worth? So, Mm -hmm. Toys R Us, your brand could be worth a lot of money as long as it's relevant to clients. Toys R Us brand isn't worth that much money anymore because they're out of business. They have like four stores open now or two Mm -hmm. stores open now. So, their brand is not worth that much. However... Who do you think is the biggest brand in the world? Apple. Apple. $389 billion. $389 billion. Let that sink in. That's without assets, inventory, real estate, cash flow, anything. Just for the brand. Coca-Cola brand alone is worth $89 billion. Mm -hmm. So branding, like all these brands you named before, Dressmart, Dressmart, Mm -hmm. Mart. Pier 1, they all still have good brand equity as long as your friend mm-hmm. can get the business back You know, yeah. by innovating and going online. They still have good brand equity. So branding is huge. The other thing that's big is trademarks. Um, here's a big mistake that owners make because you asked me earlier what are the mistakes that owners make. Mm-hmm. Your company name. Most owners just go out and get a trade, a, a state trademark, a city and state trademark. Big problem because they don't get a federal trademark. So years could go by, and all of a sudden you receive a cease and desist letter in the mail. And the business owner goes, Oh, I'm not changing my name. I'm gonna fight that. Go ahead and fight it. You're gonna lose. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're spending, you spend you could spend thousands upon thousands of dollars and you'll still lose. And then you have to change the name of your company. Mm. I've seen business owners close their business because of this. Go out, spend the money. It's like $1,200, $1,500. And get a federal trademark and protect your brand. Mm. Same thing with slogans. You know, same thing with, you know, anything to see. Like Exit Rich, I want to get that trademarked. Mm. So get a trademark and protect your IP. Same thing with patents. If you have anything unique get patents because they're a huge value drivers. We sold a company for $18 million that had 18 patents. Okay. And they weren't making that much money. Then the other big thing that's valuable in IP is contracts, vendor contracts, manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts are all huge value. Mm -hmm. The biggest value of contracts are client contracts. We have a landscape company um, that we're working with that has 350, 400 contracts with their commercial clients. Contracts are big and buyers love contracts because they know that steady income.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Here's the problem. Here's the big mistake the business owners make. None of them put that transferability clause in their contracts. None of them. You have to have a 2 centers transferability clause. We're selling a business right now for $70 million. Their EBITDA is 12 million, and then their contracts are transferable.
0: That lowers the value.
1: So it does lower the value, but they're going to go back to their clients and they're going to make sure they get that in there because they have mm. really good relationships. And yeah. they don't have that many contracts. They probably have 30. But if a company has, you know, 100, 200, 300, you know, really start putting that language mm-hmm. in from the beginning. Um, And then the other value in proprietary is databases. If you have a large database and it can be retargeted and repurposed, Mm -hmm. then that's huge. Um, That's huge value. WhatsApp, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, but what, but Facebook didn't care. Facebook was buying a synergy, one synergy. And that synergy was database that Mm -hmm. had a billion users. So Facebook knew they could all and they can monetize on the sale of that business on the, and the purchase of that business and then the other big thing in IP is I call this business real estate so let's say that you're selling let's say that you're selling pillows right and you are a marketing genius and you got the number one spot on Wayfair for pillows mm-hmm so when anybody types in tell us, boom, you pop up. You know how hard it is to get that spot? People will pay for that. Other e-commerce mm-hmm. businesses, home good products will pay for that company. They will pay more money for that one synergy. Let's say that you um, have a patent on a certain type of vacuum. And it's extremely unique. It's, it's, a, it's a remote, you know, robot vacuum. And you've cornered the market on Amazon and you have a patent, then that's huge. The other thing is, let's say that you have a skincare product and you have Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, or a kid show or some celebrity radio show host that are selling your product. They can only do one skincare product at a time, one skincare Mm. product. So that's prime, prime business real estate that buyers will pay for. Um, The fifth P is patrons. And that's customer, that's your customer base. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the old golden rule is 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers. Well, you got to be very careful on customer concentration, because if you lose one or two or three clients, it could put you out of business. So you really want customer diversification. And if you've been in business 20 to 30, 40 years, guess what? Your customers are aging out. (laughs) Right. So you need to look at replacing them. And you should still ask your customers, because this is what Amazon does. What do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with me? And the last P, but probably the most important P, right. is, pro- is profits. Uh, <laughs> so profits, somebody asked me the other day, Michelle, why do you put profits last?
0: If you did one through five, you should be making money.
1: Boom. That's your point, right? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
0: i already already assumed that if you're doing one through five you should be making money
1: yeah and here's the deal like i always say terrence the yep. problem profits is never ever 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 the problem profits right. is always a symptom of not running on one of the other five beats if you right. don't have the right people in the right seat you're going to have a profit issue you know, a, if you don't have checks and balances with your people and nobody's checking to make sure nobody's stealing from you, mm-hmm. you're going to have a profit issue. If you if your product is on the way out and not on, on, not on the way up, like Steinmart and Kmart and all the other mm-hmm. ones, you're going to have a profit issue. If your processes are not efficient, and productive, designed with the customer experience in mind, mm-hmm. you're going to have a profit issue. If you didn't protect your IP, you're going to have a big profit issue. So right. profits are never the problem;
0: it's always a symptom. It's interesting. That's like a, a little mini PhD in business right there. If you're listening and you heard that information, <laughs> listen, yeah. replay it. It's is recorded for a reason. Like that, you can go your whole lifetime and and uh, wander wander past who you're going <laughs> to hire or what you're going to sell, and you're you're following some clown on the internet that says all you got to do is put video out there and get it done. You still got to you still got to build a framework.
1: You got to build the framework and like the franchise or that I partnered with, never build the framework. And here's the deal. You might get lucky and you might get a lot of clients in the beginning. But Mm. if you don't have the foundation built, like Amazon built the foundation, they knew they built Mm -hmm. the foundation. If you don't have the foundation built, you're going to crumble. Your whole empire is going to crash around you.
0: Mm. That is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff.
1: And it's all an exit rich.
0: (laughs) Exit rich. Tell me more about Exit Rich now that you got my attention. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Exit Rich is really a blueprint, uh, step-by-step guideline to not just sell a business. It's not about really selling a business. It is, but it's more about building a sustainable, scalable business so that when you're ready, it's actually sellable. Mm-hmm. Because I said earlier that there are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. Most businesses don't operate on all six cylinders. Most businesses operate on maybe three, two or three. Mm-hmm. So if you really can build out your business with this foundation and operate on all six all six P's, you're going to have a very solid foundation and your business is going to be sustainable and then you can scale. You can't scale unless it's sustainable, unless you have that solid foundation on a six P's built. So exit rich is also about planning your exit from day one of starting or buying a business. You know, I walk my clients through day one where I say, okay, think about this. When you drive somewhere, you pull out your phone, you put your destination in, right? Mm-hmm. The GPS already knows where you're starting from. So you need to do the same with business. Business is your most valuable asset. But nobody ever plans for it. Do you have children, Terrence?
0: I do. Yeah, I have two Did sons, fl- 20, 22 and 29 almost.
1: Did you and your wife kind of plan where they're going to go to preschool, right? Because they can't pick their own preschool. Where they mm-hmm. going to go to preschool? Where they're going to go to elementary? Sure. Where they're going to go to um, junior high? Where they're going to go to high school? Where they're going to go to college? What maybe they're going to be when they grow up. Some parents are really <laughs> micromanage, yeah. you know, that process. They want to dictate what their children are going to be, who mm-hmm. they're going to marry, how many grandkids are going to give us. So parents plan out their children's future, right? Right. But right. do they ever plan for their biggest asset, for the exit of their biggest asset? No. No, no, no. You know, so you got to think about, go ahead.
0: Oh, is it, the, is it more of a compass? Or is it more of an exact destination? So, like, is it more of a distant shore you might want to visit sometime, depending on, you know, no one lives in tomorrow. I mean, we all live, usually, usually, a lot of us live in the past, but you're living in tomorrow, way tomorrow out. Is it, is it like an exact place you're going to land? I mean, it's, or is it just a compass to direct you and guide no, you, I, make sure you're equipped for the, tri- the trip?
1: Yeah, I would say it could be a little bit of both. I like to get my clients to, to determine their end game, determine where they want to end up at. So let's say my clients have been in business for five years and I ask them, okay, what do you want to sell your business for? Now, eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. The number one reason businesses don't sell is because they never sell for the price tag that the owner needs to sell.
0: (laughs) Right. Can't get their number, right?
1: They can't get their number. And that's the number Mm -hmm. they need to retire on. Or that's the number they need to send their kids to college. Or that's the number they need to buy another business. But the buyer doesn't care what you need. (laughs) The buyer cares what the value is. So I always tell my clients, think about this. Think about building your asset to sell one day. And don't become so emotional to it. Sellers get so emotionally tied to their business. Mm-hmm. So say, okay, I'm gonna sell my business and I wanna sell it for let's just say $20 million. Okay, I'm just gonna throw right. out a number. Now, what's the second thing they need to know? Because that's their destination. $20 million is their destination. What does a GPS need to know?
0: Well, how do you well, build a business that's worth $20 million someday? What well, makes sense? First,
1: first, you need to know where you're People. starting from. Right, right. Where right. you starting from? What's mm-hmm. your current evaluation? What's your current location? What's your current evaluation? Right. So let's say you worth five million. You worth five million today. You want to sell for twenty million. Okay. What do you need to know next? Time frame. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do this? Can you get from five million to twenty million in five years, seven years? Let's say seven years. Then you need to know who are my buyers going to be. There's five types of buyers. Mm-hmm. Who are my buyers going to be? So, if you have a twenty million dollar manufacturing business, I can guarantee you it's not going to be a first time buyer that buys your business. (laughs) So you can rule them out.
0: So that's one of the five, right? I was just going to ask you, what are the five? That first time buyer number one. Is
1: first time buyers ninety percent of buyers are first time buyers. Number two is PEGs, private equity groups. They buy two ways. They buy based on platform, based upon add on. So if they're looking to get into manufacturing and they're currently not in manufacturing now. They'll look Mm -hmm. at manufacturing companies as long as their EBITDA is over 3 million. They won't look at anything under 3 million in EBITDA for a platform. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's say they're already in platform and they already have a manufacturing business. And let's say they manufacture spices. Then they'll look for add-ons for that platform for other manufacturing seasoning or salad dressings or ketchup or hot sauce or stuff like that. You follow me? Because it's congruent. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's an add-on. And now look at add-ons under a million dollars. So that's PEGs, private equity groups. Then your third type of buyer are competitors slash strategics. Now, competitors are direct competitors. Strategics are strategics. So let's, so let's say there's an AC heating company. And we're selling a plumbing company. AC and heating companies are buying up plumbing companies, electrical companies, flooring companies, because they want a one-stop shop. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And vice versa. Plumbing companies have been buying up AC companies. So that would be considered a strategic, not a direct competitor, but a strategic. Okay? And then your third type of buyer is sophisticated serial entrepreneurs. These buyers are industry agnostic. They're more EBITDA-specific.
0: Mm-hmm. They're making, a, looking to make a, a profit, a good profit. Yeah,
1: they're very like I have several that I work with. One that I works, one that I that I work with, he pretty much gives me an offer and everything. I get, <laughs> you know. Now he's got a very, he's got a very streamlined, defined way that he purchases businesses, and you either say yes or you say no. He doesn't wiggle, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you got to do this, this, and this, and this, and that's it. That's his playbook. Mm-hmm. And either uh, sellers play ball or they don't play ball. Some do, some don't. So serial entrepreneurs are industry agnostic. They don't really care. This, this particular gentleman has hospitals. He has construction. He has manufacturing. He has truck stops. He's like oh. all over the gamut. Um, and then the last type of buyer is turnaround specialists. And turnaround specialists are really busy right now buying distressed assets because of COVID.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So those are your five types of buyers. So if you're trying to sell them a $20 million manufacturing company, then who's going to be your buyer? Well, it's not going to be first timers and it's not going to be turnaround specialist. It's mm-hmm. going to be either a private equity group. Mm-hmm. Now your EBITDA would have to be over 3 million or they wouldn't even consider you for a platform. They will consider you smaller for an add-on. So, but a $20 million company should have a, a 2 million to $3 million EBITDA. So, PEGs, private equity groups will buy you, strategics would buy you, competitors Mm -hmm. will look at you, even sophisticated. So those are three types of buyers that will look at you. So then you have to ask yourself, what is their buying criteria? What do they require as far as financials, gross revenues, Mm -hmm. um, profit margin, EBITDA requirement, EBITDA's the biggest, you know? And then what's the requirement as far as people in place, non-competes, management team, Mm -hmm. You know, what's in, what's in place as far as products. So this is business run on all six P's. So Mm -hmm. it really buyers who are buying a $20 million company are not going to buy a company who, unless you're a SaaS business, SaaS is completely different, but they're not going to buy a company that has no people in place and you're outsourcing everything. So Mm -hmm. they want a company that operates on all six cylinders if they're going to pay $20 million. So now you know who your buyer is. So now, you know, What your determined price is, you reverse engineer it, you know where you're starting from, your $5 million, you know your time frame, you know who your three buyer types could be, you know what their buying criteria is, and now you need to know your why. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have a powerful why, you'll never sell your business for $20 million. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Mm-hmm. And your why is what keeps you in the game. It's what keeps you motivated. It's what keeps you going. It's it's what drowns out all the naysayers.
0: Why you want the twenty million and why you want to sell the business? Which, yeah, or why, why or do you want? Why do you
1: want? Yeah, or everything. Why do? you want twenty million dollars? I mean, why do you want to sell your business for twenty million dollars? Because there are a lot of obstacles in business. There are a lot of mm-hmm. roadblocks. There are a lot of you know things that, that us entrepreneurs have to have to go through mm-hmm. just to keep our business afloat. I mean, look at COVID right now, right. you know, and we have hurricanes. I'm in Louisiana. We have five hurricanes this year <laughs> on top of COVID. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of storms out there and we got to weather the storms and keep our our boat afloat. So you better right. have a powerful Y to keep you in the game. Otherwise just go work for somebody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the uh, the law of thermodynamics says energy is not created or destroyed; it's transferred. So there's always going to be something going one way, something leaving, something coming.
1: I and I that, believe that wholeheartedly. Law of attraction.
0: People yeah. are going out of business, and new businesses are popping up. And then the people with money, we know based upon our financial reports, we're getting that there's still money around. And and you oh, want to yeah. be in, yeah, you want to position yourself to participate with the peas right?
1: Participate. I, that's right. how do I do? <laughs> you did great. Uh,
0: the best thing you do in the recession is not participate.
1: Yeah. You got to participate. And, you got to pivot. Mm-hmm. And you still got to be passionate about what you do.
0: Could have went to nine Ps there. Uh,
1: <laughs> great,
0: great, great I job. Stayed, I'm excited.
1: I stay with six Ps because I, I relate it to a car. You know, you want to keep a car driving on all six cylinders.
0: Yeah. Six pistons. <laughs> What's uh, that? That's, is it six pistons, right? The six yeah. cylinders? Yeah, six I don't cylinders. Know Isn't it, it. six it, cylinders? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about cars. But uh, <laughs> how does someone go about, you know, beyond the book? Let's say the book's coming out. So you have a way for people to get a pre-launched copy, right? Yeah, they can that. get
1: the copy today. So the books are available everywhere for pre-order. So you can go mm-hmm. to Barnes & Noble, Hudson, Amazon, but don't go mm-hmm. there. Go to exitrichbook.com because exitrichbook.com is our pre-sale funnel and you Mm -hmm. can buy the book for Mm $24.79, which includes shipping. And Amazon is $27.97 plus shipping. So for $24.79 includes shipping, you will receive the digital download immediately. Mm -hmm. You will receive a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Membership where there's video training of me taking you through these different techniques and strategies. Um, And you will also receive digital downloads. So, if you've never seen what an employee handbook looks like, we have one. If you've never seen an organizational chart, we have one. If you've never seen a due diligence checklist, a purchase agreement, an LOI, letter of intent, closing documents, those are all in Exit Rich Book membership available for you to access. And then you'll also get a 30-day membership in the club CEOs, where we do hot seats, masterminds, Q&As, to try to help business owners ask those questions. What business are you in? What business should you be in? And then when the book comes out in January, we'll ship it to your doorstep. So you get all of that value for 2479 at exitrichbook.com.
0: That and this podcast is a little mini business PhD.
1: <laughs> yeah, All right. so, And the book has even more strategies than that because Sharon Lecter, uh, who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. and she's been a New York Times bestselling author several times over, and she also wrote several books in the Napoleon Hill Foundation Thinking Grow Rich. So she has the mentoring corner, which is. A perspective from a financial literacy expert. She is a CPA, she's a financial literacy expert. She has advised President Obama and several other presidents. Mm -hmm. So she's you know very good. And then her husband is an intellectual property attorney. So he has his two cents too. (laughs) So you get Mm -hmm. to get the expertise of somebody who's been in the trenches for 20 years, plus a CPA. Plus,
0: and i an IP attorney. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I want to list, remind everybody, Michelle Seiler Tucker's book, ExitRichBook.com. There's an offer that's massive. Uh, click the link. that will be included in the notes that you're going to get a download on the spot. You're going to get free collateral videos and worksheets. You're also going to get a free month in club CEOs where you're going to be listening and hearing from Uh, CEOs and hot seats and all kinds of cool stuff. I'm excited about that myself. Well, thanks for joining us, Michelle.
1: Thank you for having me, Terrence. It's been a pleasure.